all else fails, call the experts in. We are uh, looking at Matthew chapter 14 today. And if you uh, have the uh, Bible app open, you'll see it's the NRSV version of that particular text. And uh, if you have another Bible, that will be just fine too. Uh, this is a familiar story. It follows right on uh, the heels of the story that we looked at last week about uh, Jesus feeding uh, the 5,000. Uh, it's actually a little bit more than 5,000. Uh, and if you had a chance to uh, connect uh, with that uh, message last week online or uh, as a recording, um, um, uh, you'll know that uh, this is a section of Matthew's Gospel where um, Jesus' identity uh, is being displayed. Jesus' identity is beginning to be uh, put on uh, display. And we're learning uh, more about not only who Jesus is, but what it means um, to say what we say about Jesus. So Matthew uh, chapter 14 is where we're going to look. And as you uh, uh, locate that, join me uh, in just a, a moment to, of, of prayer. So Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, um, clearing away the raindrops. Thank you for uh, a time together here uh, as your people, as uh, members of your big C, capital C church uh, here in this place. Thank you for uh, your presence. Thank you for uh, the relationships that we enjoy. Thank you for the uh, community that we share, uh, even in uh, really challenging times. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us to hear you today, that you would help us to know that we have come here and encountered you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just as I was praying, I was thinking it's really amazing that we are not just reading about somebody who uh, broke some bread and multiplied some scraps of bread and gave it to 5,000 people, and we're not just reading about somebody uh, who walked on the water and who talks to the weather and changes the We're not just reading about Jesus. Uh, we, were, we were just now, just now, talking to Jesus. It's absolutely amazing. So uh, this is what we read about uh, the Jesus that we talk to, Matthew 14. Immediately... Uh, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain uh, to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, Command me to come up to you on the water. And he said, Go ahead, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, 
truly you are the Son of God. And we'll ask God to bless this reading, his holy inspired word. Amen. So what is the moral of this story? What's the moral of the story of Jesus walking on the water, uh, Peter wanting to join him and getting into the boat? What's the moral of the story? Uh, there are some options that we could pick from. So uh, let's do just a little bit of an inductive Bible study. Um, maybe the moral of the story is if you want to walk on the water, you have to what? Get out of the boat. Right? If you want to walk on the water, you have to get out of the boat. Uh, how many of you remember a book that came out years ago uh, by John Ortberg? And it was titled, If You Want to Walk on the Water, You Have to Get Out of the Boat. And his whole book was about this story. Uh, the whole book uh, was about uh, Peter's courage to step out of what was safe and familiar and predictable and to step into something new. The whole uh, book that Ortberg wrote was all about uh, 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 you know, eschewing comfort and ease and convenience and daring to walk on the water. And so the moral of the story would be have courage, do something brave. Maybe there's some other options, though. Uh, maybe the moral of the story is uh, keep your eyes on Jesus. Maybe the, the whole point of the story here for Matthew is, you know, as long as Peter was focused on Jesus and wanting to be with Jesus and moving towards Jesus, he was just fine. But when he started to notice the waves and he started to feel the, the spray and the wind in his face, when he took his eyes off of Jesus, that's when he went under the water. And so if you don't want to sink in your faith, keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't let yourself get distracted. Don't waver. Don't uh, be double-minded. Persevere. Keep focused on Jesus and you'll be okay. And that certainly seems like it would be a good challenge for us today too. It's important for us to have courage and to be willing to get out of a boat. And it's, and it's important for us to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. We certainly know that there are plenty of cultural waves crashing around us these days that fight for our attention. Maybe there's another option. Maybe the moral of the story is uh, more particular to Peter. Maybe this is a story about Peter's leadership. If you want to be a leader, if you want to have influence, uh, you have to be willing to do things that other people aren't willing to do. All of the other disciples sat in their boat. All of the other disciples stayed put, but Peter was unique. Peter had a different vision, and he was willing to move towards that different vision. No wonder uh, later on, Jesus would look at Peter and say, you, Peter, whose name means uh, rock, Petros, it's the rock. You are the rock, and on you I will build a church. This is Peter's leadership, his, his, his uh, unwavering movement towards a greater vision. And so the moral question maybe would be for you, is God using you to build his church? Is God uh, building on you, the, the rock of your life? Are you willing to do what nobody else is willing to do? Do you have a vision for the difference that God can make in the world? Or are you just a passive passenger in the boat? 
along for the ride. What's the moral of the story? If you were teaching this, or if you were preaching this, which one would you choose? I've certainly heard all of the options. Maybe you've even heard some others that I haven't covered. They're all different approaches to the text. And so what's the answer? Be careful here. It's a little bit of a trap. It's a little bit of a trick question. See, any of these themes, any of these morals that we could draw from the story, do this, not this, be like this, don't be like that, all of those morals ultimately end up setting us up for this story to become bad news. All of those morals end up setting us up uh, to experience something like disappointment and cynicism and failure and rejection. We hear a story like this and they say, try harder. And I say, but I can't. I'll fail. But you have to get out of the boat. I'm afraid to get out of the boat. You have to get out of the boat. You have to try harder. You have to do more. You have to be more. See, turning the gospel into a morality story turns the gospel ultimately into bad news and not good news. If you're reading the gospel wondering, what is the moral of the story? What do I have to go and do? You're reading the gospel wrong. The point of the gospel is never ever to tell you what you should have done or could have done or ought to do. The gospel isn't about you doing. The gospel isn't about you going to work, working harder on the things that you feel guilty about. No, the gospel goes to work on you. The gospel goes to work on you. The gospel awakens a need and it brings awareness that there's a brokenness, a brokenness in me that I cannot heal, no matter how hard I work. There's a problem in me that I cannot solve. And then the gospel says, and here's good news. This is unfailingly good news. The good news is, I know you can't. I know you won't. I know you don't. But there is one who does. There is one who can. There is one who is strong when you're weak. There is one who can heal you. There is one who forgives you. There is one who holds you up. There's one who nourishes you with the bread of heaven, multiplied beyond what you can imagine. There's one who comes walking towards you in the night, on the water, and not only comforts you, but calms the storm. What's the turning point in this story? It isn't when Peter says, tell me to come walk to you on the water. This isn't a story about Peter. The point of the story is that Jesus came to them walking on the water. The whole story hinges on Jesus came to them. The original language of the story, the text, makes it even more clear in verse 27. I emphasized these words earlier when we read through it. There are three words. Two commands and a promise. Or maybe two commands and a name. Take courage and fear not are the two commands. Take courage, fear not. And right in the middle is a name. I am. 
I am, says Jesus. When Jesus takes the words I am into his mouth, pay attention. When he says I am, what he's saying is more than just I'm with you, I'm around, I'm present. What he's saying is I am the presence of God with you. The word I am in Jesus' mouth goes all the way back to the burning bush when Moses asked God, what is your name? And he said, my name is I am. Over and over, Jesus takes into his own vocabulary statements about his own identity that are all about saying I am, I am, I am. And here he says, take courage, do not be afraid. I am. I am with you. The presence of God is with you. And at the very end of the story, the punchline of the story, if you will, is not, wow, look at what Peter did. It isn't, look at what the disciples are doing. The punchline of the story at the end of the text is, surely this is the Messiah. The whole story points to Jesus. No matter what you do or don't do, Jesus is present, and that means God is present with you. Stay in the boat or get out of the boat. Walk on the water or fail. It doesn't matter. I am with you. It's Jesus, not the clever disciples with their plans that multiplied the loaves and the fish. That was last week's story. And that story in itself points forward to the Last Supper, another time when Jesus will take bread, break it, bless it, and give it. And that story is not just about remembering who Jesus was, but it's about remembering who Jesus is. It's about celebrating the presence of Jesus every time we break bread. So the question is this. What need, what longing, what hurt, what hope, what fear does the gospel surface for you? How have you seen your own hopelessness in a fresh way? And then how are you drawn to Jesus? You see, Peter's calling out, tell me to come walk to you. It's not the cause of Jesus' presence. It's the result of it. When Jesus is present, there's something in us that pulls us to want to be closer to him, to want more of him to see him more clearly. Why does, Je why does Peter want to move towards Jesus? Because that's where life is. That's where hope is. And that's where I want to be also. And that is why this morning I find myself uh, beginning a process of stepping away as your senior pastor. I want to say that paragraph again. Why does Peter move towards Jesus? Because that's where life is. And that's where I want to be. And that's why this morning 
I need to begin concluding my time as your pastor. Several things I want to say about that. One is, uh, nobody has done anything wrong. Uh, it's messy, but nobody has done anything wrong. There's not a single cause for that decision. Uh, no one is asking me to, to leave or to resign. Uh, in fact, quite the opposite. And uh, it is not easy or pleasant. I have a lot of fears. I have a lot of uncertainty. Uh, there's no one thing that I'm going to go and do next. And I don't know if the story of my life, the history of my life, will ultimately judge this to be uh, the foolishness of Peter thinking that he can go running across the waves or the steady wisdom of the disciples who are in the boat. But what I do know is that Tammy and I are in agreement that this is the right direction for us to move and it's the right direction for our family. And ultimately, it's the right direction for Midland Reformed Church. Uh, there have been a few times in my own life when Jesus has come to me walking on the water. When Jesus has moved towards me uh, in the midst of a uh, stormy sea. I remember one time in college, uh, I was in the midst of a really significant depression. I was on the verge of becoming an inpatient, and Jesus came walking to me on the water, and he healed me of that depression. Later in life, uh, he came walking to me on the water and called me into ministry. It was unmistakable. It was a change of direction from what I wanted and thought. Jesus came walking to us on the water uh, when we adopted Ben. It was unmistakable. It was clear. It's one of the most uh, significant spiritual milestones in my life, learning how to listen to what God was saying and doing uh, in the midst of a really challenging transition. Jesus came walking to us on the water when he called us to be the we called me to become the pastor at Middle Reformed Church. I say us because it was a, it's a team deal. Tammy and I um, were so clear. It was unmistakable uh, that God wanted us to be here. The calling and the fit was right. And now again, with that same clarity, Jesus is walking on the water and Jesus is speaking and making himself known. And his invitation to me and to us this morning is for me to move into a new season of ministry. Something that I don't see clearly just yet. Not to a new job, but to a new place of depending on him and listening for him and being in his presence, knowing the I am. Being your pastor will always be counted as among the great honors of my life. Uh, and because of that, and because I care more for the health and the life of this congregation than you can possibly imagine, um, I cannot stay beyond what God is asking. It might seem a little sudden, uh, but the truth is, um, 
many of you know that there's been a long discernment and reflection process that really goes all the way back to uh, my sabbatical a couple of years ago. I had a hunch then that the fit and the calling uh, were coming to an end. Uh, the heart of ministry for me is beginning to shift. So that's part of the work that God is doing in me as I experience the presence of Jesus, letting me see the degree to which I take uh, and make an idol out of comfort and ease and convenience and security. And that's displaced my ability to rely on God. How do I call anyone to integrity with the gospel if I'm out of integrity with the gospel in my own life? I don't know uh, if you find yourself today uh, angry or relieved or sad or disappointed or indifferent. I've experienced all of those emotions. What I do know is this, in the boat or out of the boat, with lots of bread or just a little bit of bread, above the waves or sleep, slipping beneath the waves, Jesus is present. Emmanuel, God is with us, with you, with me. And the story turns on the presence of Jesus who comes to us. And that makes all the difference in the world. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, uh, by your grace, give us the eyes to see you. By your mercy, uh, give us ears to hear you. Give us the confidence to rely on you. Thank you that the gospel lets us off the hook. It takes us away from striving Proving from working to be better or do more. Thank you for a gospel that's all about coming to us with healing and forgiveness and hope. Thank you for a gospel that changes our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.